This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Church in Montgomery in Colmar, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Hey, I've been, I've been doing some traveling with Pastor Mike. Those of you that have been here, you know, these last couple of weeks, uh, he's had us uh, on the road with the Apostle Paul and all of his missionary journeys. And so I just, I was checking back in my passport record, and we've been in places like Galatia and Syria and Asia, uh, Asia Minor. Uh, we've been to Macedonia and Achaia, and even a couple of islands that I didn't mark down. So I just want to do a quick review on where we've been, because I really want to move on and talk a little bit about how that journeys, or how those journeys end up, and how Paul takes all that experience and just kind of applies it. By the way, uh, the map's up here, and I just want to kind of give you a scope of what this traveling of Paul amounts to. He took three journeys in his time um, in the book of Acts. That first journey, and and these are the maps, incidentally, that you have on the back of your note sheet. And this is, I guess, the third or fourth week you've had this. The top map is basically the first missionary journey. I went out from Antioch, swung through Asia, came back to Antioch again. Just that one trip alone was um, 1,581 miles. You might ask how I know that, because that's actually a real number, because there are Bible teachers um, that are so detail-oriented and research-oriented, they actually went back and they, they checked on where all the major roads were in the Roman days, in the first and second centuries. Then they traced Paul's journeys from city to city and tallied up all the miles, some by foot, some by other kinds of conveyances, some by ship. And they figured out it's exactly 1,582 miles on that first trip. The second trip, which went out to those same areas and came back, but we just went out a little bit further, was over 3,000 miles, 3,050 miles. And this third missionary journey, which is where we find ourselves as we move from chapter 19 into chapter 20, was 3,307 miles. So he has gone so far up to chapter 20, 7,938 miles. And actually, he still has more travel to go, but that's later on. Almost 8,000 miles he's covered. As far as we know, none of it was by plane or anything, so it wasn't easy miles. These are all hard miles. And he's traveled all this in a number of years to get the gospel out. So what I'd like to do with you is just kind of review for you where these things are, because uh, it occurs to me that um, we're looking at it on the map, but it might be helpful sometime if you get the opportunity to go back and check on your own what happens during all these trips. So let's just kind of review this. The first one, I kind of have it laid out in your notes on that other side. The first missionary journey begins in Acts chapter 13, Verse 4, you may remember in the opening of chapter 13, his home church commissions him to go out with Barnabas and preach the gospel in distant lands. So that begins in the beginning of 13 and goes all the way through to chapter 14, 28 at the end of that. And uh, what happens is he swings out and he comes back to Antioch, his home church. By the way, it says in, um, in the end of chapter 14 that when he got back to Antioch, He got the church together and other local people, and he reported to them about what the Lord had done while he was out on that journey. We just had some of our missionaries come back a couple weeks ago, the Skinners, and uh, that's kind of what they did. They reenacted for us uh, Acts uh, 14, 27, and 28. They came back, and they shared with us what the Lord has been doing 
over in Durban, South Africa, as they've been doing ministry there. So they kind of did that cycle. They did exactly what Paul did back in 14 at the end of his first journey. Reported back. The people were excited to see how God was saving not only Jews, but now Gentiles in great numbers, and they wanted to send them back out again. So that brings us to Paul's second missionary journey. And that goes from chapter 15, verse 36, to chapter 18, verse 22. And there again, they swing back, take a long journey this time, a couple of years, and they come back once again to Antioch and report in. So when you want to go back and check on that second journey, which is the second little map frame on your notes, that's where that is, more than 3,000 miles on that trip. And then the third missionary journey, and uh, Pastor Mike just got us into this last week, begins the very next verse in 1823. They didn't hang around long and went back out again. And when they go out on the second and third time, they want to go back to the cities where they've been before and just kind of reinforce the ministry there. Make sure the people are really solid in their faith, that disciples are growing and learning and being fruitful. So that's what they do on the third missionary journey. Only he does it a little bit different. The third journey looks on the map almost exactly like the second journey. That's why we didn't give you a different map. Except that on the third journey, instead of swinging through Ephesus at the very end, like he did in journey two, he goes straight to Ephesus and spends about two and a half years there doing ministry, which makes a total of about three years he spends at Ephesus. And then he goes out and visits all the churches, and he's coming back through on his way back to Jerusalem, which is where the third journey ends, and he stops off at a place called Miletus, uh, and he doesn't have a, a time to go all the way inland to Ephesus, so he asks the leaders of the church at Ephesus to come meet him there at the port city of Miletus, and that's where we'll find ourselves. Hey, if I could ask you to take out that blue sheet in your programs for just a second, uh, I think it would be helpful if we just kind of read through together this, this time that he has. This isn't so much action and movement as it is teaching time. So Paul's got everybody together. And what we'll do, if it's okay with you, and if it's not, we'll still do it this way, I guess. I'll read the normal print if you guys would respond by reading the bold print, okay? That's why I call it a responsive reading. He, that is Paul, was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead, and when he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene, and on the following day arrived at Miletus. And when they arrived, he said to them, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Yet 
Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. And when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Thank you for reading that through with me. I want to go back, so... Steve, I guess you want to go back to that slide five or wherever that begins. But Paul is, um, by the scholar's best guess, probably in his mid to late 50s at this point. He's been doing ministry out on the road for 20 or so years. And uh, he has a sense that he's getting near the end of his uh, itinerant ministry. So he's changed his strategy a bit in that he is more and more turning over and pa- ministry and passing on ministry opportunities um, to the people that he's been working with. That's true for Ephesus. He's coming through here now for what looks like the third time. He stopped at Ephesus just very, very briefly at the end of his second missionary journey. And he promised he'd come back because he had other things to do. And he promised he'd come back as soon as he could. And sure enough, at the beginning of his third missionary journey, he travels the inland roads straight to Ephesus and begins preaching there. He first of all starts out in the synagogue, where he often starts whenever there's Jews in town. He's there about three months preaching boldly. A number come, and then there's some resistance. So he goes out into a rented facility. Uh, Some of you would know about using a rented facility. And he's there for another couple of years, all told later on, when he all adds it all up, he says, I spent about three years with you. And then, after, and then he goes off and he goes through all the other places that he's been to before, uh, making sure the churches are all established, making sure the local leaders are doing well, where necessary, assigning leadership in key positions. And now he wants to come back and he's traveling with some other young men and he wants to head back to Jerusalem. But on the way, he wants to have just one last opportunity to spend time with the people of Ephesus, especially their leaders. So he stops at this little coastal town. He's traveling by ship. And uh, from uh, Miletus, he calls the elders to come and meet him there and then gives them this final challenge. Here we are. It just strikes me this is an important part of our 
Christian walk at any point is uh, passing on that ministry, preparing the people to receive ministry, and then passing it on as the Lord leads. I've had to do that a couple times in my career of ministry, but this time is a little bit different because I'm not sure where I'm headed next. But there is that sense of, of okay, this is good. God has been preparing people for ministry, and this is good. It's time for me to kind of step back and pass things on. So I want to look from my perspective and hopefully from some of yours at how to do that. There's a, it's kind of a process that um, needs to be done with grace and care. So I want to kind of encourage you on that. Some of you are older, some of you are younger, and you're both in this passage. And I want to encourage the, um, the meeting and melding together of all those groups as we do ministry together. So let me just give you some hints from this passage, really six things that I have laid out in my notes, that I hope will help you and think through that process of passing on ministry to somebody else. That very first slide that was up there, I tried to stay in the unstoppable theme and just say this, that the church's mission is unstoppable partly because um, ministry is pass-onable. I checked, that's not a word. So forgive me for that. Forgive me for making up a word, but I'm just trying to stay in the unstoppable theme. So the church's mission is unstoppable because ministry is pass-onable. And I want to walk you through how that happens, at least in the life of Paul. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is that first line, really, in your fill-in-the-blanks there. Invest yourself. You've got to invest yourself in people. Let's go back and just take a look at that uh, passage we read through. You can either now be using the blue sheet, or if you'd rather, turn right to your, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, and we'll walk it through together. The first thing that Paul says is, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. He just kind of reviews for them what he's done there. Later on, he, he admits that it was almost three years he spent with there. That's longer than he spent with any other single church or group. So he poured a lot of himself in, and it wasn't just on Sundays. Uh, he, he worked with them all through the week. Uh, so there was preaching, public proclamation, and then there were also opportunities to meet house to house in little home groups or life groups. And he met with them, and he preached, and he taught his heart out, sharing with them everything that he could. Then he goes on to say, uh, my lifestyle uh, ought to speak for itself. This is later in the passage, but I'll, I'll mention it here. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, as well as the needs of my companions, and in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. So he talks about how he was involved in personal ministry. And it seems to me that the one way, or I guess the, the key thing or the foundational thing about being able to pass on ministry to other people is that we have what I guess I would call history with them. We have history with people. Um, we've been serving together. We know about each other. Uh, you know my strengths and weaknesses. I know yours. We've worked together in the trenches. We've spent time in each other's homes. And that history is invaluable in that process of passing on because we become confident in each other and what the Lord is doing in each of our lives. Some of you I've known longer than others, obviously, but I've enjoyed 
getting to know all of you and knowing all of you in the process of uh, uh, my time here at Crossroads. I, I said that before, but it's just been an immense uh, pleasure for me and a, and a joy to meet you, get to know you, what makes you tick, how the Lord's been working your life. And even this early on, I, I think I have history with just most of you, I guess. And that's really cool because it gives me the opportunity to know about you and, and to be investing in your life. Uh, we've spent time together uh, serving. We've spent together time together in times of sorrow where we cried together or we laughed together. Usually it was about something stupid I did. But we laughed together, we cried together, we learned together. And there's no substitute for that, for putting in time with each other, just face-to-face time, sitting next to each other time, being together in the good times and the hard. And that's what Paul says, I, I have done that. I have been there. I've invested myself in you. Just staying on this slide for just a second, I want to just jump off to another part of the passage because another thing I want to make an emphasis of is this, and I think it's clear in this passage. We invest ourselves, or I want you to invest yourself, in the next generation. And to that end, I want you to seek out and surround yourself with people who are growing spiritually. Let me just go through that again in case you didn't get it all. Invest yourself in the next generation and seek out and surround yourself with people who are growing spiritually. In addition to the investing, uh, there's been a strategy, I think, to Paul's ministry over the years. There's been the, there's the times of humility and tears. He's been plotted against. He's preached publicly. He's taught in homes. Night and day, he served them, and he worked to meet his own needs and help the weak. And it mentions there that he met not only his own needs, but the needs of his companions, because he often traveled with other people. It was at the very the beginning of that little blue sheet that, we, uh, that I introduced that, these different people. Uh, with I, I put that part on me so you wouldn't have to figure out how to say names, and I don't even know if I'll be correct. I'll probably get to heaven, I'll say, hey, Sopater. He'll say, no, it's Sopater. You've been pronouncing it wrong for years. I don't know, but that's just how I say it. But it was, it's interesting to meet these guys. No, these are real men, and, and I hope to meet them someday when, I get, when we get to glory. But to know something about their background. First of all, if you would take your, uh, that little map sometime and, and look at where these people are from. Sopater was from Berea. Aristarchus and Secundus were from Thessalonica. Gaius was from Derby in Asia Minor. Timothy was from Lystra, a nearby city. Tychicus was from somewhere in Asia. And Trophimus was from Ephesus. So Paul had recruited these guys to travel with him and serve with him from many of the cities that he had been working in and establishing churches in. So he has a broad base of young men that are coming along. I guess what happens is he says, I need some men to go with me. They had some things to do, including delivering an offering to the saints in Jerusalem who were in trouble. They were going through some hard times. So the Gentile churches collect an offering that they're going to take down to Jerusalem, and also he wants to make a vow and fulfill his vow down in Jerusalem. So he invites these other men to go along with him. I assume, because Timothy is a younger guy, that most of these other guys are younger guys too. So he is, he is surrounding himself with these younger people. He's working with them. In addition to those six mentioned, there was Eutychus. There's a humorous story about Eutychus in the middle of chapter uh, 20. Some people, it's okay, it's just, i got to tell you, because some people giggle when I said Eutychus. 
Here's the story. Paul got to this one town, Troas, and he didn't have long to stay. He had to leave the next day, and they wanted to hear him preach. They said, give, it, give us everything you've got, Paul. So he preached, and it says in my version, he said he preached on and on. In fact, he started in the evening, and it turns out he didn't finish up till like dawn on the other on the next day. So whenever you think that one of us guys preaches too long, be glad we're not Paul. Eutychus was a young guy who was it was pretty crowded in the room, so he was sitting on a window ledge over on the side of the room. And at one point he dozed off, as people are sometimes want to do, and he leaned too far and fell out of the third story window and landed dead on the ground. And Paul said, Don't don't worry, don't worry. So he he ran down and picked him up and prayed, and Eutychus came back to life. And here's the best part. After he came back to life, he went back up to the room so he could hear the rest of the sermon. That's what I really like about it. That's dedication. <laughs> I like to think all of you would have done that too. But Eutychus is a young man who wants to follow Paul, and Paul wants to be involved in his life too. He's got some other people that are probably a little bit older. I kind of picture this like imagining that Paul is a, uh, a baby boomer like me, and maybe some people like um, um, Mark and Silas, maybe even Aquila and Priscilla, are kind of like uh, Gen Xers. And then there's Timothy and some of these other guys that are sort of like uh, millennials. But he's got different levels of age groups that he's working with. So he works with uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and later on in the same passage, they recruit a young guy named Apollos, and they start equipping him. Paul was committed not just to preaching the gospel everywhere he went and establishing churches and working side-by-side side with his peers and contemporaries, but he had a heart for reaching out to the next generation and the generation after that. In fact, he says to a Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, the things that you have learned from me and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach still others. And this is where Timothy learned that strategy from Paul, who did that very thing. So he's got a heart for investing himself in the next generation. Not only them, but certainly them as a part of the strategy. And then, in his case, I think he reaches three generations, his own and the next two after him. So he spends a lot of time with them. And, and that's how he's doing his work. And I think we have a wonderful opportunity here at Crossroads to do that very thing, don't you think? I mean, I think we have a wonderful opportunity to work across generations. I know everybody's got their own issues, their own agendas, their own uh, perspectives and culture in their generation. But all of us meet at the cross. And somewhere, and I guess maybe the initiative needs to be with, with me and other people from my generation, to take the initiative to reach out and start passing on ministry and equipping people for ministry as we prepare to do other things, whatever that happens to be. So I hope this is a church where that kind of thing can happen. I, I, I love the young people here. I, I, I love the old people here. I like the in-between people here. You're just a great group. I enjoy spending time with all of you, but we have a wonderful core of millennials and even Gen Zs that are coming along that, that we really need to do ministry with, and it's our obligation to take the initiative to include them and involve them in significant ways and to listen to them and be involved with them. Paul did that. He invested in the next generation. He really took that seriously. In fact, at one point he says to Timothy, uh, Timothy, you are like a son to me. That's how close his relationship was with Timothy. 
There's another thing that goes along with this, and maybe it makes the transition work. And that is, it's the third item I mentioned, that as you pass along ministry to others, as you're in the process of doing that, you must now embrace new challenges for yourself. Embrace new challenges for yourself. It's in this next part of the passage that Paul says this. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I finish my uh, finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So as he's passing on uh, encouragement about ministry to these leaders, and I think he's got a mixed group here because remember he's called the elders of the church at Ephesus to come. So some of these guys maybe are a little bit older. Maybe some of those are some Gen Xers, maybe even a few other uh, Busters like himself. Um, I'm sorry, the boomers. Busters are a different group, right? Maybe some boomers like himself. And, but there's also young people there. Young people are coming with them, and he's got young people with him. And he said, I want you guys to figure out how to make this work and how to serve. As for me, I believe the Lord has led me in a little different direction in ministry. I really need, I, I need to leave all of this in your care because I need to move on to Jerusalem. The Lord is calling me, compelling me really to go there. I know it won't be easy. I know I'm going to face hardship. Everywhere I go, prophetic voices are telling me that. But I know that I must go. So I have something else still ahead for me. By the way, as you're praying for me, that's something to pray for, because I'm not sure exactly what the next step is going to look like. Um, in fact, it's, it's, hard for me. it's hard for me to think about the next step while I'm still here with you all. So at some point when I've kind of, my mind is ready to release that, I'll... Maybe God will give me that new direction. But I want to embrace that new direction, that new challenge in my life, so that I'm going to a place where I can serve, and you can pray for me just as I pray for you. I think that's true for everybody, isn't it? When we're passing on ministry, we want to embrace new ministry challenges that we have. And I don't know if that ever stops. Denise and I spent some time uh, this week with uh, uh, some old friends of ours. When I say they're old, I mean they've been our friends for a while, and also they are old. The guy is 95 and a half. I don't know. <laughs> He'll be 96 this fall. And his wife's a little bit younger. But Frank amazes me. Uh, he's been serving the Lord all of his adult life. He just loves to serve. And he's had to step out of some areas where he had been serving and hand that over to some younger men. But he still has a heart to do so. If, if I'm, in, I'm in the car driving, I'm saying, so Frank, what's next? He knows. He knows what's next. He knows what the Lord has called him to do. He's a wonderful relational guy, and he had been working for a Christian organization. He's not able to fill most of those responsibilities now. But over the years, he's developed a real heart for pastors. And uh, so he's, got, he's identified a half a dozen or so pastors in the area, and he's going to go and spend some time with them once a week, if he can, and just pray with them about their ministries. That's what he's going to do. And he brings all that wisdom and compassion and understanding of his almost 96 years. So he is had to pass on some things, but he has embraced the new challenges that the Lord has given him. I just love him for that. And I have other friends like that too, and you know those people too. I don't ever want to get in a position where I just sit down and go, oh, well, that's it. And you know, I hope I never feel that way. I haven't yet, so that's a good sign. But 
And maybe even younger people feel that way sometimes. When you do, pray about that because the Lord has some new challenge ahead for you. In Paul's case, as we're going to see, what is ahead is not only confrontation in Jerusalem, but eventually a trial, um, a detention period, and then prison. And it'll look like, wow, his ministry is just done. But even in prison, the Lord gives him ministry because he has the opportunity to embrace the new challenges. As the Lord leads us to pass on ministry to others, and it's important that we do, we need to strive for that, not just resign ourselves to that. Then the Lord gives us new things, new horizons, new challenges. And that's what Paul says is important. So for those of you that are passing on ministry, that's what it looks like. Let me give you three other things, too, that I think make this happen for us and are, are part and parcel of our passing on that information. One is, encourage and demonstrate faithful living. Encourage and demonstrate, that's what's in brackets, faithful living. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, is what the next part of the passage says. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Paul, as he's passing on ministry to these guys, he said, look, here's what's really important. You need to be an encourager and a demonstrator of what faithful living looks like. That's why I said we need to surround ourselves with people who are growing spiritually. Not that they're perfect, but we want people who are interested. Although I have a lot of people in my circle of friends and, uh, and companions. Not all of them are serious about their spiritual growth, but there is a group that are. And uh, I, I want to spend special time with them growing in the Lord. But he reminds me that I need to be the demonstration of what faithful living is. I think going back to that other thing he said, that's why he wanted them to know that when he got to Ephesus, he didn't ask for anything. He, he actually worked to pay for his own keep and help his travel companions pay for theirs so he was no stress or strain on the church as it was growing, that they could just focus on ministry. This is a crazy world where uh, I just read this week there's some evangelist who says he's, he needs $54 million. It's just to buy a, a jet plane so that he can travel more quickly from meeting to meeting and, and save him the, the terrible burden of traveling uh, with commercial jet. So I don't know, uh, and I don't, I'm, I'm not this man's judge, the Lord judge him, it just seems like there's other ways to spend $54 million. But when things like that happen, then people go, oh, that's what ministry's about, huh? I just had somebody I talked to last, uh, last weekend, and he was telling me a little bit about his spiritual growth, not from this church, incidentally, so it was another friend I met. And uh, so he says, yeah, he says, my dad's kind of skeptical. He doesn't think I should be going to church. Because he, he says, well, they're okay now, he says, because you're new. He says, but wait till they start uh, talking to you about tithing. He says, they'll do that sooner or later. And that's what, that's what they really want you there for, is for your money. And I said, isn't that a shame that that's what some people perceive that it's all about? He says, we need to live lives and have ministries of integrity and faithfulness, and then display that or demonstrate that to the other people that we're coaching and encouraging so that they will be faithful too in their generation. So be an encourager. By the way, 
here at Crossroads, we're all for tithing. So I'm not, I don't want to say that's a bad thing. Except I want that to be between you and the Lord. You know what I'm saying? So let the Lord lead you in that. Because it's not coming to me. Keep watch over yourselves, Paul says, and all the flock. Watch your own life. Be, live like a shepherd. A shepherd gives himself for his sheep. The next thing is not only encourage, but exhort. I think along the way, someplace, as we're raising up younger people to do the work of ministry, um, we need to exhort. Exhort means to um, stress strenuously, something like that. And here's what he says. I know how these things go. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. We need to exhort, which means, I think means to warn people about the dangers of ministry and the hard things of ministry. Ministry is great. Ministry is just such a... Uh, uh, a gratifying and, and blessed experience. And those of you that are involved in ministry, whether you're teaching a class or working with another group or you're involved with our joy group, or you're involved with the ice cream social, whatever it is you're doing, you're at Friday nights in Lansdale, whatever your ministry is, maybe at Christ's home or wherever it is, you know that, that it can be just such a blessing as God uses you to make an impact. But there are hard things too. And I think along the way, as people are preparing for ministry and getting involved in the church, we need to be careful to explain to them that sometimes there are hard things. Sometimes there are dangerous things. And we need to watch out about people coming in from outside the church or wrong thinking or wrong teaching, kind of filtering in to the church. Sometimes I think in our day that happens through social media and other ways, not just from people actually bodily showing up. But sometimes junk gets in and that can cause great disruption can really wreck a flock, a church flock. So you should be careful about that. Watch out for wrong ideas, wrong thinking, destructive life patterns that would come into your church. And he says, sadly, sometimes it even happens from within the church. Sometimes it's from somebody that's been a long-time member, and for whatever reason, they get resentful, and they start causing problems and become disruptive from within. Sometimes it's a new person who comes in with their own agenda and kind of tries to lead people away. Paul faced both of those things, I think. Uh, later on, he talks about a couple of people in his life. There was one fellow named Demas, another young man who was very close to him, that he had been training and equipping. And at one point, he says to Timothy, sadly, Demas has deserted me. don't even know where he is anymore. And, and Alexander, the metal worker, has caused me great harm in my ministry. So he knew about those things. He could speak about these things because he, he had seen them in his own life. Um, John, the Apostle John, talks about another guy in, in one of his letters, 3 John, verse 4. He talks about a fellow named Diotrephes. And he says, watch out about that guy, Diotrephes, because he loves to be loved. He loves to be first. He'll do anything for, to get people to pay attention to him, even if it means taking and, uh, things away and distracting from others. So I think part of our ministry as encouragers also is to be exhorters. Just kind of tell people, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to encourage. Here's how you need to strengthen the young disciples that are coming along behind you. Here's how you need to invest yourself in that next generation. But also, I want you to be aware that there are pitfalls and perils 
in doing anything in ministry. Just be aware of that. Know that it really comes with the territory. We need to be strong in the Lord and stay as a close band of brothers. We've been talking about that in our men's group, our men's ministry on Wednesday morning, about what it means to be connected and to be a band of brothers and how uh, sometimes life can be tough. Ministry or family life or anything can be hard, and we need to be a band of brothers hanging together. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. And then thirdly, equipping. So not only encouraging and exhorting, but also equipping. Which I define as reinforcing the core commitments of our Christian faith and life. We rely upon God, and the word of his grace is our guide. The other reason we should be passing along ministry responsibilities is is to give others not only a share of the work and the burden to lighten the load, but also that they may have the joy of seeing what God does in ministry. And ultimately, that means we are leaving them with God. What's important is not so much me or any of the other pastors or or any of you, but what's important is that God is in focus, that God's mercy is motivating us, that the grace and love of our Savior and the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is what drives ministry. And what keeps us going. So he says, we rely on God. So I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. That means prayer is important to us. And um, the encouragement of knowing his word. I'm not sure about that term, the the word of his grace. Because my my initial thought is to think that he's saying that, uh, that this word is the word of his grace. And it is. Except that at this point... Not much, if any, of this was available yet. It hadn't been written down. Eventually, when it's all written down, this will be kind of the description of God's grace and how it works in our lives, in the church, in my marriage, in my family, in my neighborhood, in all the things that I do. This describes and explains how grace is at work. But I think at this point, he's just saying, look, here's what ministry is all about. It's knowing God and making him known, especially Salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. And training people, equipping people to know what God's grace means in our lives. How we no longer need to live with disappointment and discouragement. Just that there's such a rash of, uh, of depression, I've read, and suicides. And we've had some celebrity suicides just, week, just this week. And I just, I can't imagine... What brings somebody to that point? Um, I'm not saying I don't get that it does. I just, I've never experienced that yet. But for me and for all of us, our hope for today and for eternity is grounded in God's grace. To know that whatever happens in my life, whatever discouragements, whatever derailments happen, um, it's through Jesus Christ that I have forgiveness and encouragement and where I find hope. So here's where this takes us, I think. And we're, we're still going to press ahead into the rest of Paul's ministry, these last couple of chapters in, in Acts in coming weeks. And maybe even take a look at some of those letters that he wrote to these same churches. But for now, just consider this. If the mission of our church is unstoppable because ministry is pass onable, because you can't do everything, you need to pass that on to other people, 
And because you won't be here forever, you need to make sure that there are others in the next generation that can continue that work. Because of all those things, i got to ask you some questions. Who is passing the gospel ministry on to you? Or to whom are you passing on gospel ministry? It's kind of a two-way flow, I think. For most of us, we're kind of in the middle somewhere. And somebody is still mentoring and encouraging and exhorting and equipping me so that I have the opportunity to encourage and exhort and equip others. That kind of process of passing it on. So who are the people in your life that are passing on ministry to you? They're encouraging and exhorting and equipping you to do the work of the Lord here at Crossroads and beyond. And who are you equipping to do ministry? And if you don't have somebody, at least one or two people in each of those categories, then I would suggest that you need to really sit down and pray about that and say, Lord, if nobody's reaching out to me, can I go to somebody and say, look, I think you're further along in the faith. Could you teach me? Could you train me? Could you equip me? Maybe you have to go ask them. They should have come to you, but if they didn't, go ask them. And then say, Lord, with what I've got, with what I know, with where I've been so far in my Christian walk, who is it that I can pass this on to? Who can I encourage? Who can I exhort? Who can I equip? Who can I walk with as we serve the Lord together? And that needs to be one of our goals in going into the summer and then into the fall as ministry kicks up again. Ministry is pass-onable, and that's what will make our church mission unstoppable. So who's passing things on to you? If they're not, find them. Make sure they do. And to whom can I pass on? Let me just pray that you would, um, the Lord would lead you to those people in your life. That would be the focus of that. Lord, thank you that you have done so much in my life, in our lives. Pray that you would give me people to encourage and exhort and equip. Kind of bring them to mind. Maybe they've been looking for me to reach out to them, and I just haven't done it yet, so lay it on my heart so I know. For some of the people that you've given me the marvelous opportunity to speak with and share time with, I just bless you for those and pray that you give me other opportunities to reach out to them. Lord, I need somebody pouring into my life, whether it's a a Frank McRae or whoever it happens to be. I need people pouring into my life sharing with me what you've been teaching them in their walk so that they can enhance my ministry and when they pass on the glory that I'll be able to continue the encouragement that they gave me. Help each of us to figure out who those people are. Lead us to those people. Maybe there's somebody that's been wanting to reach out to us for a while and we've just been pushing them away and saying, no, or not yet. Lord, open our hearts to respond so that we may grow and serve together here at Crossroads. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.